0: You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hello and welcome to Atheistically Speaking. This is episode 234. Two, three, four. All right. Cool milestone there. Celebrate. Uh, and I'm your host, Thomas Smith. Joining me back for a second time is Krakis Varsovian. I'm told that's a reference to something, right? But I don't know what that is.
1: It is. Well, you got the Google machine,
0: right? So. Uh, okay, okay. Someday I will figure that out. But then again, it, I could also just leave it a mystery, you know, because it, it sounds cool. So maybe it's better if I don't know. No. Um, welcome back. I we So I'm told – you were telling me it was September that you were on the show and we talked about science and sort of the state of science funding in Canada, lots of stuff. It was really fascinating and you've been also emailing about the uh, Kevin Fulta episodes and you had some really cool stuff to add, some really interesting stuff to add about – antibiotics about well a lot of different things and i thought it would be really cool to have you back on i've been meaning to since then of course <laughs> um but also before we do all that how about a canadian science update what do you say
1: yeah absolutely so thanks a lot Thomas. talks uh thanks for having me on uh you're my favorite gamcast member from now by the
0: way. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that no, no
1: offense to the scathing guys Actually, i've been <laughs> listening to them since episode one so that's you know i love those dudes anyway um yeah, so uh, for your American listeners, we had an election back in October. Um, Ooh,
0: and you have a dreamy prime minister, right? I can't, I can't stop seeing this guy everywhere about how he's he's so great and just the best looking. <laughs> the, the women love him.
1: Yeah, there's been a bit of a shock and awe kind of from the uh, charisma department with respect to that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if if anyone kind of doubts his street cred, he actually had a boxing match with a sitting senator back a couple of years ago, so you can. You can Google Trudeau boxing match. Um, so, so this guy's kind of weird, I mean, because he's, uh, you know, he used to be a whitewater rafting guide and a, and a ski and snowboarding guide and all bunch of things. It's not very typical for a prime minister or any sort of sitting uh, head of state. Uh, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Trudeau fanboy necessarily. I was, uh, in the previous podcast, we were talking about how, you know, I think uh, Canadians who were... Uh, concerned about the state of science in Canada would be voting against the Harper government whether that was for the NDP or the Green Party or for the Liberals the Liberals want a majority so that's the way things swung I guess so, things have, uh, they just released their budget, I guess, about three weeks ago, and uh, there have been some goodies in there, so it's nice. We've seen some incremental increases in the funding agencies, such as the Canadian Institute of Health Research and the Natural Science and Engineering Research Council. Uh, we've also seen some investment in uh, green energies and uh, research into greenhouse gases. We've seen the reinstatement of funding for things like the experimental lakes area. And also kind of dribs and drabs for things like, you know, Canada, and also for the Perimeter Institute, which is a thre- theoretical physics institute. Um, also things like the Stem Cell Research Institute.
0: And the well, wait, institute. I don't get it. So why aren't you a Trudeau uh, fanboy? This sounds great. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I, <laughs> maybe I, you should be. Maybe maybe you shouldn't apologize. Maybe you should just be like, yeah, I'm a Trudeau fanboy. <laughs> I don't
1: want to fall into the, the cult of personality. It's sure. True.
0: Yeah, that's case. true. I can see that.
1: Um, and One of the concerns that you and I discussed was that the cutting had been so consistently cut down every year that it would be nearly impossible to reinstate all the funding. Hmm. And that's kind of what happened. So, you know, when they cut CIHR uh, by what was like 200 or 250 million, they've only increased it by like 22 million, right? So these are just incremental changes. None of these are permanent. So they're usually, oh, it's like $200 million for Genome Canada over five years or something like that. So these aren't permanent funding increases. They're all good. But, um, you know, we need to make sure that the state of science in Canada is stable. And uh, this is a good first step, absolutely. Uh, There's another concern, though, too, in that we're in a pretty deep deficit right now. So part of that was due to the collapse of oil prices, since you and I spoke last because uh, that's a major export. Um, but part of it's also just due to, I don't want to call it reckless spending, but a lot of stimulus spending, as they call it, as you guys had back in 07, 0, uh, 08, and 09.
0: Well, sure. I, it seems like that's spending for a good cause, I guess. But I, then again, I don't—I I can't pretend like I know what's going on in Canada. I barely know what's going on here. I can only, one country at a time. Sorry. That's that's why I have you on here. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: that and and you know Canada's economy is quite small. I mean, it's it's just a little bit smaller actually than all of California's. So you
0: know, it's <laughs> it's kind
1: of dropping. Wow. The but um, you know, there's only thirty five million or so of us. So.
0: Um, yeah. Oh I mean, so it would, should be pretty easy. You could probably keep track of all the transactions in Canada on like one spreadsheet and just say, Yeah, no, we're doing yeah. fine or... Well
1: actually we've got see I heard you and your brother talk about this. We got chips on our on our Visa cards. We've had it for ten years, so I don't know what's going on with you guys.
0: Oh, but aren't they the biggest so, pain in the ass, or do you have some magical alien Canadian technology that makes uh, them we not got
1: pay paywave. I don't know if you guys got that. So you okay. just wave your card at the machine and it
0: what, what, then what does the chip do? Because we have to put the stupid chip <laughs> in the machine for an hour while a machine goes like, mm, oh, I think your card's in there. And we're like, oh, wait for five minutes. It's the most inefficient thing. So I guess if Canada, when you get advances like that, it takes a few years to trickle down here, <laughs> the trickle down well, it, yeah, economics. Well, it's right? No. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So eventually if enough of the fancier machines fall down here from from where you are, then we'll get them, I guess.
1: I think Europe even got them like 15 years ago. so we're Oh, jeez. Uh,
0: when did you get the internet? The 70s or something? Like the full world? No. no. I, re-
1: I remember pre-internet era, so. Uh,
0: but anyway, we digress more. Uh, it sounds like so. If if I were to sum it up, things are certainly better for in terms of science funding in Canada. Yeah. But but it's there was a lot of damage done, and I encourage people if you didn't hear that episode, uh, it, go back and check it out. September? Do you have an exact date? I can't, can't remember. remember what well, in September, one of the eight or so episodes that were there, and it, it was it was pretty dismal. I was shocked at how little I knew about it, given the fact that it was pretty horrendous. You know, it was it was. It was shocking. Like I think of people beat up on America a lot. I think it's something that everyone loves to do. <laughs> the rest of the world, well, um, you are the
1: biggest superpower in economy in the world. You are kind of the biggest target, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's just natural,
0: right? But it was it was pretty shocking the stuff you described. And I thought, you know, we should be making fun of Canada more. But then you go and elect a beautiful man, or I guess you elect the party. Is that how it worked?
1: Yeah, we technically we elect a, a member of parliament who belongs to a party, and they have a leader who gets to be prime minister.
0: Right. So, so I'm glad that things are are going better. Is there anything else you wanted to say on that before Just we moved on? Brief,
1: quick things. Sure. So, I mean, science is my focus, but there's uh, three other things we're in uh, consultations right now for the legalization of cannabis. Mm. Um, so hopefully, before the his term is done. Uh, We're going to be well on the way to do that. So we're even talking about distribution methods, et cetera. Um, There's also talk of electoral reform, which is something I talked about briefly because the way our system works is kind of silly because um, a minority of the people can, can vote in a majority parliament. And we actually have that with the liberals right now. uh, And we had that with the previous conservative government. And the third thing is that just today we had our first draft legislation for uh, physician assisted suicide so for mm. people who are terminally ill or in great pain um they will be able to hopefully within a year uh get to have uh, that opportunity or that option let's just say, they, I was they,
0: say it's, a, it's a bit bit hard to call it an opportunity but yes yeah, an option <laughs> Yeah, I misspoke there. Right? So, uh, sorry, it was uh, just a little too funny to not laugh. <laughs>
1: well, it's it's presence of my my mother died of of cancer when she was fifty six, and the way she died was was awful. So oh,
0: here you go. Make me feel like an <laughs> asshole for laughing. I get it. I get your I get your mo. But yes, no, it is an important topic for sure.
1: Everyone has a family member. It's not just me, right? So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's all I got to say about that. So, uh, But before we do talk about some of the antibiotic stuff, I did want to mention one thing that Kevin Fulta didn't say, and that was the, um, the Aqua Advantage salmon. So mm. this is a genetically modified salmon that's been GMO'd to grow two to three times faster than conventional salmon.
0: And... Uh, in my idiot brain, I thought you meant like the fish would be faster. Like we're gonna produce the <laughs> fastest fish; it's gonna swim so damn. Fa- and then I thought, why would you want that? And then I realized that's not what he meant. So just catching everybody up on my thought process.
1: It's actually slower than
0: conventional. There stuff. you can see. That's what you would want. You want a big, slow, dumb fish.
1: It, apparently, because of the uh, rate of growth, um, it's uh, something has to do with the muscle fibers that essentially oh. can't go as quickly. Interesting. But it makes for a fish that can be grown faster in aquaculture. And so when you were talking about fish genes with Kevin Folta, this is actually a case where um, they took uh, a tomato
0: gene and put it in a fish. fish. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: got, you know, it's got all the flavonoids in there, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, they actually used a gene from an from a eel called a pout um, from its uh, antifreeze gene in order to drive um, the expression of a Chinook salmon growth hormone gene, mm. so that it can grow faster. Uh, but in order so it doesn't cross, like if it gets out of the pens, and so it doesn't cross with other salmon, it's actually triploid, which means that it has an extra set of chromosomes so that if it tries to mate with another salmon, it won't be able to because it's sterile.
0: Wow. That is so cool. I mean, I can imagine the horrified people who are really into like natural everything, like they must just be very horrified by this. But it, it, it's unfortunate because <coughs> it's an incredible opportunity. I mean, it sounds like it, it's, it's, it's going to, well, okay. We, I guess we don't need to rehash all of this because we talked about it. I talked about it with Kevin Falta, but I, I mean, it is really depressing that I can imagine people reacting like that's some sort of horror show we're creating when in reality, I mean, we are creating efficiency. We're helping feed people. I mean, it's, it's anyway, all those things we said, go back and listen to those episodes.
1: Yeah, uh, and that was great. Your couple episodes on GMOs, we were actually fantastic. I think it was very informative and useful to to our crowd.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: so, uh, yeah, let's move on to some antibiotic resistance stuff.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, take it away. Uh,
1: can I recall an anecdote?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, so, I mean, my interest in this is uh, – I mean, I, I'm not an expert in this. I'm not a uh, – the science that I used to practice, at least, is, isn't related to this. But this touched me personally a number of years ago, when my wife actually had a severe accident, boating accident, two thousand seven, that led to an open fracture in her tib fib. Her her tib tibia and fibula, that's the lower leg, basically uh, telescoped. Um, created, you know, it was like this horrible, horrible injury. Um, essentially, uh, they were considering amputation. Anyway, fast forward a few surgeries. And she had these open wounds on her legs from a process called fasciotomy to prevent um, her legs from uh, basically suffocating from lack of blood flow. Because of these open wounds, she had to have a lot of antibiotic treatment in order so that she wouldn't get affected. Uh, She contracted something called Clostridium difficile, which is a a gastric bacterium that most of us have, but in its virulent form basically causes a form of chronic vomiting and diarrhea that leads to... Um, dehydration in and, and elderly patients frequently leads to death. Mm. So she was cured of this by a drug called Flagyl. And when she finally returned home, because she was up in the Great White North in the middle of nowhere in some hospital in the boonies, when she returned home, um, her orthopedic surgeon noticed that she had uh, maceration in her wounds, meaning that it looked like her wounds were becoming infected. So he prescribed something called clindamycin, which ended up wiping out her gut bacteria all over again, and she reacquired the C. diff infection. Oh. So in the end, we had to hospitalize her again because she had lost so much fluid um, that she was losing consciousness and had started hallucinating, and she was treated with Flagyl all over again. The Flagyl the second time didn't work, and it meant that we had to move on to a second um, antibiotic that's um, it's not quite the last line of the defense, but it's a more... Uh, it's it's used for antibiotic-resistant bacteria of that particular strain. And uh, at the time, because we were outpatients, we had to pay the cost. So it costs about $1,000 for the prescription, um, which translated to American because American drugs tend to be two to five times more expensive. In, in the States, would be could be somewhere between two and $5,000. Well, so, what's the
0: side note? What is this the healthcare difference? I mean, are you – so why wasn't that covered at, at all?
1: Uh Well, so universal health care isn't quite universal in Canada. So Uh if you're admitted to hospital, uh, everything is covered essentially. Um, This is something my sister, who's a clinical pharmacist, would know better. But when you're out in the community, you usually have to pay for drugs yourself unless you're a senior, I believe, or you get some sort of discounts if you're a senior.
0: So So it's universal, but you weren't in the right universe. That's the problem. You're in a different universe.
1: Well, part of this has to do with the fact that despite um, the pride many Canadians have in a universal healthcare system, there's a strong contingent and vocal contingent of of right-wing opposition that wants to liberalize the healthcare system and essentially privatize it. So there's this constant push and pull.
0: uh, I think what we ought to do is I ought to call Canada out because last time that really worked for you guys. Last episode when I said, you know what, let's make fun of Canada more and and I'll call out... The fact that your universal health care isn't so universal. And then probably a few months from now, you, all of a sudden you'll magically have – a brilliant system that—that's at least learning from prior experience. That tends to be how it goes. That tends to be how it works. Well, yeah. I,
1: I, healthcare costs in the US are actually quite astronomical. So some yeah. of procedures in Canada tend to cost a lot less, but that's because you have the insurance infrastructure in place that tends to tends to increase prices, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, this is not a discussion about that. Uh, so you know that's my personal experience with it. Uh, but you know this is a big problem. The CDC in 2003 released a—I guess it's a report you
0: Well, I think I sorry. I interrupted you. I don't know. Did you did you finish the story necessarily? I mean, you were so you're paying a ton, a thousand dollars, which was two to five thousand here. Essentially, could have been uh, for a drug that that wasn't covered. And then I interrupted you. So what what happened? I mean, don't leave us hanging.
1: Uh, she. I mean, she, she was fine in the end, right? Okay. So that ended up, we, we were assigned an infectious disease specialist and, you know, she, she went back to for tests and things and, and she's, she's all right. But the problem is, is that that particular species of uh, vancomycin resistant C. difficile has now colonized her colon. And uh, anyone who actually lives in close proximity with anyone else at one point or another, they, their gut bacteria starts to converge because you Like as 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 terrible as it sounds, it's impossible to avoid shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. That's true. Just any, and this isn't because of the um, you know the the what disease is that the right word the the virus or what was it?
1: Well, it's it's a bacteria. Bacteria. So So it's this one's particularly nasty because it sporulates, right? So the spores are actually heat and um, cleaner resistant. You can only basically uh, kill them with high heat or with bleach. Wow. But right, so. but
0: uh, what I was trying to ask is this is normal just for any two or more people that they're yeah it, okay you're, for instance
1: let's just back up a bit I mean if you're when you're born if you're born by natural vaginal birth the gut flora that colonize you mm-hmm. are acquired from your mother because let's face it the vagina and, and the anus are very close together. <laughs> So uh, you get those on your face, etc., and then you swallow them, and that becomes your 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 basic. Oh my gut god, form. that
0: is so cr- what, what a weird plan by God. But anyway, okay, <laughs> that is bizarre. She's had tons to do. With
1: it. <laughs> actually, no. It's been shown that that kids born by C section actually have fewer uh, or or a decreased variety of gut microbes.
0: Really? You yeah. know, I might have been born by C section. I should count my microbes. That's interesting. <laughs> I think I was born by c section Wow, that's crazy,
1: sure you can be genetically tested yeah, um, so the point is is that if you're living with someone, especially if you 're living with them intimately then then you will at some point, like, your gut flora will converge because you're swapping them all the time. So she and I essentially have to be careful now because she's had C. diff. She can't use certain kinds of antibiotics. So when she goes to the hospitals for anything, she has to let them know that she's had C. diff and she's had a virulent form. Uh, They haven't said that about me, but I'm I'm cautious about it too, just as a precaution. Wow. Um, So, yeah, so we're fine. Uh, Other than the fact that, you know, uh, if we take antibiotics, it might kill us.
0: <laughs> well so it's it is i mean it sounds pretty dangerous if something else if you get something else right i mean is that the issue that if if you get some other you know have some other need for antibiotics what are your options
1: yeah, and so we tell if we just see our normal family physician, or if we're in any other, if we see a specialist, if we need to get antibiotics, we let them know, and they try to tailor the the therapy accordingly. But it, uh, my wife got an ear infection. We're both divers, so we're prone to ear and respiratory infections. And uh, I actually had to call my sister right in in the office and say, uh, "Do you really think these drugs are the right drugs?" Because <laughs> she's more of an expert. Often the pharmacists know better than, than the actual physicians in terms of what to prescribe in particular situations, because they have the expertise in that.
0: Wow. What did they end up being okay? Yeah, she was fine. So so that was okay. No, I meant the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. They were great. Oh, okay. Tripped you out and everything. (laughs) That's interesting. Okay. So, wow. Where were we? So everything ended up okay. I'm really glad to hear that. That's a, a very horrifying injury. And I, I was definitely cringing at the, at the thought of it, but I'm glad everything turned out okay. But uh, this this relates, of course, to, to people who, just in case, didn't realize, the whole discussion on antibiotic resistance. Um, and, and that's the reason you emailed me about it, is I talked a little bit about that. I clarified because uh, the first guest I had, Derek, uh, sort of minimized that a little bit. I, I kind of want to catch up with him. I might message him. And see what he thinks in light of all these episodes. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe I'll do that. But he definitely minimized it. And I later emphasized that I, that was incorrect and, and I tried to clarify. But but you've gone even far, further here in that. So uh, go ahead and continue.
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to so the CDC in the in the United States um has you know in a report from twenty thirteen said that antibiotics Biotic resistance is a concern. So 2 million US citizens every year acquire some sort of antibiotic resistant infection. And of those 2 million, approximately 25,000 die Uh and uh, it's only getting worse. So the amount of antibiotic that's being used, I mean not only in the medical system, but certainly in the agricultural sphere is increasing. So as as you mentioned previously, in the United States it's something like between 80 and 85% of all antibiotics consumed go into agriculture
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, around the world. I mean, there was a, there was a study a couple of years ago in, in uh, the Proceedings of natural uh, national Academy of Sciences that showed that it's going to increase 67% by 2030. And
0: uh,
1: especially in developing countries. Sorry, what's going to increase just overall use usage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but not like
0: in our Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha.
1: And in developing countries, it's going to double, um, by 2030, which is approximately seven times faster than the rate of increase of the population. So it's all going to animal use, essentially.
0: Yeah. and That seems to make it even more urgent. I I forget if you mentioned this in your email, but uh, someone else, I think, commented, if it wasn't you, that, uh, you know, why do this with antibiotics? What we're doing is this weird thing where, talk about unnatural you know we're we're pumping the, it's not to treat any disease i mean we also treat diseases in in cattle or or rather we try to prevent them and all that prevent infection but this is just therapeutic or or below therapeutic doses just to what was it it fattens them up and it it it, it increases the what, the efficiency of what we feed them to what they produce, I think it was?
1: Yeah, so it's something called the feed-conversion ratio. Sure. Uh,
0: so that's the, basically,
1: every time you feed an animal to another animal or plant to an animal, you're losing calories due to something called entropy, as, mm-hmm. as all the physicists know. And um, the idea is to decrease that number as small as you can. So at the feed-conversion ratio of, say, a cow is, say, 10 kilograms or or 10 times the calories of what you need in order to get one calorie out of of beef. And cattle seems to be particularly bad for this. And for whatever reason, antibiotic use um, in the feed um, makes them grow faster, so reduces that uh, feed conversion ratio.
0: So we really ought to be doing this with genetically modified cows. Let's learn from our fish example earlier on and figure out how to do this with genetically modified cows rather than this uh, potentially dangerous method of, of pumping them full of antibiotics.
1: Yeah. And, that, and I think, I mean, that's exactly what Kevin Folter was saying. I mean, the idea is to reduce your input. So for those of us who are concerned about greenhouse gases and the excess use of land, et cetera, um, we really should be considering something like GMO or the overall reduction in, in the amount of livestock that, that we have. I mean, cause let's face facts, Americans and Canadians and Australians and most people in the developed world, consume way too much meat we don't need that much protein mm. right so i mean that's another uh potential solution i mean but that still won't get a, get rid of the antibiotic problem so the u.s as far as i know is one of the only developed countries that still allows the use of antibiotics for non-therapeutic reasons canada's either just phased it out or is phasing it out and the entire e u doesn't allow once
0: again, to you're speak. ahead of us, and we have to wait for the uh the regulations to trickle down to us, but eventually we'll figure it out
1: well you you guys produce a lot of a lot of food for export right, and that's it's a huge lobby,
0: oh, really, uh, I thought we were importing it all into our guts straight down <laughs> the g- <laughs> I didn't know there was any left over to export. is that true okay yeah <laughs> news to that's me, okay, yeah. yeah
1: um so I forgot where we are <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey that's my job make sure you forget where you are uh well I I don't know I mean you you had kind of reached a a, a finishing point in your story and we had started talking about uh, some of the different concerns with this but I think one thing you you haven't addressed yet that might be kind of interesting is how these super bugs you know how that happened like the like where do they come from and, and, and how does that happen exactly? Because I think you had said that I maybe didn't describe it all the way or, or was I wrong about it?
1: Uh, well, you were talking in generalities anyway. Sure. Right? Well, so yeah, I'm, of course. I'm, I'm not
0: a scientist. Uh, Everyone knows I'm not a scientist.
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't calling you out for for the details. Um, you you expressed some skepticism with the transfer of bacteria from uh, from agriculture and livestock to to humans and that's, that's sort of no, understanding.
0: no i think it was i i didn't i didn't think that the that we could that the um antibiotics like we were getting a dose of antibiotics from the animal i that was no i i fully uh expect that we could get other stuff like like bacteria from them right
1: well we do actually get antibiotics from animals as so I, like yeah I, yeah I, I I'll, I'll return back to the first point, but just just briefly while we're here, um, I did forward you a report from the FDA uh, looking at the presence of antibiotics in milk, for example. Now, while the FDA concluded in that report that's not a concern, uh, something like 0.78%, I believe it was, just shy of 1% of all milk that they sampled. So they sampled 1,900 and some odd different producers um, actually had antibiotic contamination in the milk. So cows have to be treated for mastitis, et cetera. So they're taken off the production line, but evidently either unscrupulous persons or, you know, some sort of breakdown in, in the, in the process allows antibiotics to get through wow. and some of them are up to 10 times the allowable, allowable
0: level. So See, this is why I need to talk to people who actually know things about science. Now, can it, can what about through meat? Cause it, it, it would blow my mind if we can get, Somehow, like, a dose of antibiotics through eating meat of a cow that took them. But how about that? I might as well ask while we're at it.
1: You know, I haven't looked into it specifically, but I'll tell you what. When you consume antibiotics, a significant proportion of them are excreted in urine. Hmm. Uh, so if that's the case... I don't
0: eat a lot of cow urine. Oh, no, that's you not know. where you're going. Okay.
1: <laughs> but your kidneys have to filter those contents <laughs> out, which means that's circulating in your blood plasma uh, ah. prior to... Um, prior to it being excreted. So it's utterly conceivable that that's making its way into the muscles, uh, et cetera. Wow. <clears throat> I don't know if it's in levels that are considered unsafe, but I would not be surprised if it's present in the meat. I just, I can't be definitive about okay. that. Okay. Know, Interesting.
0: Um,
1: so the main concern I think is, is in the mechanism of transmission because we tend to think of evolution as kind of a, uh, a, a process that goes from like a, a mother to a daughter, Um, In sort of what we call vertical transmission. Mm -hmm. But bacteria have something called conjugation. So this is the ability for two bacteria to exchange genetic material. And a lot of these antibiotic resistance genes in particular um, are carried on these antibiotic resistance plasmids or virulence plasmids that can be passed between each other. And they don't even have to be the same species. So one of the papers that I sent you was from a Swedish group that showed that um, this one particular kind of plasmid that's known to spread antibiotic resistance called Inc1P is present or rather can be transmitted between 20 different species of bacteria representing five different orders so orders um are higher up in the hierarchy representing you know less related organisms so in this sense you know it's pretty freaky because if you get some sort of vancomycin resistance into your caucus, it can spread to other kind of bacteria that are totally unrelated. Maybe they're not in your gut. Maybe they cause flesh eating disease or something of the sort.
0: Wow. Flesh eating disease is something I would prefer not to actually exist. I was hoping that was just a, you know, like a horror story, but that, that does exist.
1: (laughs) Uh, You've not heard of it or have you heard of it? No, I
0: have, but how common is that? A flesh eating disease.
1: So I think it's, that's a staph aureus infection.
0: Oh okay staff infection.
1: Oh sorry strep strep infection. I'm being corrected here by my... Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. By your infection <laughs> sister. <laughs> by your referee, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh it's yeah, it, it's it's you know, it, we know that it exists um in the community because we're seeing by we I mean people who work in the in the field are seeing this come off uh the streets so to speak. So they see it in ERs and things like this. Um my sister who works actually at a, at a a large teaching hospital in central Ontario. Um, she says that in, in certain departments like um, orthopedics, they're seeing 25% resistant bacteria mm. and it's coming from the community infections. So these are not infections that are necessarily being incubated in the hospital itself. They're actually coming from the outside. So they're either coming from other people or they're coming from people contacting other things that are carrying these particular uh, virulent bacteria.
0: So the, the the scary part about bacteria, it sounds like, for just to try to put it into layman's terms, and to to, to see if I'm following you, it's not just like, oh, there is a dad bacteria and a mom bacteria, and you know when they love each other very much, they produce another bacteria, and over the course of you know thousands of generations, then maybe there will be a superbug. It's that they're so wonky, and I, I guess they're just having bacterial orgies all the time and doing God knows what. Uh, they, they could spread their genetic information in ways that I guess I wouldn't think of necessarily, or that your typical person wouldn't think of, and it makes them far more dangerous than we realize. Is that a a good, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and you could think of, um, there could be bacteria that perhaps are unique to a particular kind of livestock or an animal, um, that cannot be transmitted to, to people, um, But they can still pass on the pathogenicity or the antibiotic resistance via that conjugation process.
0: Mm. So conjugal visits,
1: conjugal visits, yeah. (laughs) So they go all Jamie and Cersei on them, and uh, (laughs) you know, produce these these horrible superbugs. Um, Um, So the the thing that (sighs) that's freaking me out, kind of, as I started reading more about this, is where it can be found. Like the the researchers who did that particular. Uh, study with um, the twenty species transferring between each other. The bacteria that they used were isolated from biofilms from the North Sea. So this isn't from someone's farm. This isn't from someone's backyard. It's not from a hospital. It's in the middle of the North Sea. So this is already. So wait, out what? Farm.
0: Sorry, what's in the middle of the North Sea? I don't know. Maybe
1: these antibiotic resistance. Oh, it,
0: oh, okay. So they're that. Oh, well, that's weird. So. Wow. What's the explanation behind that? Just random? <laughs>
1: well, the probably the most consistent hypothesis is that it's it's coming from one of two sources. It's either coming from effluent, from sewage, so it's coming from us um, and making its way into the environment, or it's coming from the agricultural stream.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Wow.
1: Um, and other studies have shown, like there's, there's a study actually done in my neck of the woods in southern Ontario actually by a former professor of mine, um, who showed that there, of the five uh, tetracycline resistance genes that exist, that are known to exist, all five exist in the effluent of the sewage plants in, uh, in the town that, that he was studying this in. And in addition to that, they correlated strongly with multiple antibiotic resistance. So they were also resistant for up to five different antibiotics simultaneously.
0: So this is all a horror story. Do you have any, like, positive... <laughs> spend to put on like, what do we do? And, and is, are we dead or are we, you know, what level of concern should the average person have about this? Uh,
1: I think it's, it should be a concern. So the thing is when you, um, go to your physician and they, they prescribe an antibiotic for you, uh, first think about whether you need it, whether it's a natural bacterial infection, maybe talk to them see if they should culture it. Um, you know, obviously you speak to your healthcare professional. I mean, don't listen to some random dude on a podcast. But Do you know uh,
0: what's a Z-Pack? Is that an antibiotics? No. Do you know what that is? Just a second. You're gonna check with a little, little bird on your shoulder.
1: Zithromycin. It's an antibiotic.
0: <laughs> it is. See yeah. now. This, okay. Now I don't want to say I'm a hero, but but listen. Uh, <laughs> my my last job you I, are, is that what you're going to say exa- well it's that's for you. it's not for me to judge I I'm, I won't call myself a hero but if if after hearing my very heroic story you you know if you're so inclined sure you can call me a hero uh, at my old job I had uh, let me let's just say I had access to to prescriptions easier than other people might because there were doctors around. And they, every time I would get a sniffle, they'd be like, let me, here, I'll write you a thing for a pack." And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Maybe I don't want to do that. And I never did. I never took them up on it. Everybody there seemed to, and they would always do the, the z pack thing. And I just thought, I don't, I don't really, I had I, heard something about this. Like, it's not necessarily good to take antibiotics just because you can. And so I didn't. And so again, I, I'm not going to say, use the word hero, but... But if if other people want to, I'm fine with it.
1: <laughs> you know what, and, and that's a very good thing. I'm I'm very similar because the vast majority of of respiratory infections tend to be uh, or upper respiratory infections, colds are viral. So antibiotics do nothing for them. Wow, right. So you're just propagating uh, potential antibiotic resistance. So that, so that's
0: a big problem, I and mean, we really should avoid doing that because this sounds like a serious. It could be a serious deal, right?
1: Yeah, this is a serious. T- like, let me just quote some statistics, if I may. I mean,
0: oh there's, please, uh,
1: I, I received from my my sister. This is just her hospital, so maybe it's you know uh, particularly bad. But it's a teaching hospital, so they probably see a lot of exotic stuff. But um, antibiotic resistance, for instance, in uh, virulent E. Coli against um, what was it, ampicillin? Here, it they're, they're only fifty five percent effective. Hmm. You know, uh, and there's well, stuff, and
0: I take it there's no other course of action. I mean, are you just
1: no? There are there oh, are okay, I mean, but but they're going up in the scale, and I can just see from the chart. You know, you go to the next level, the next level, and it goes from eighty one to seventy percent, to ninety one. Eventually, you get a hundred percent effectiveness. But when you finally run out of the last one, where are you going to go?
0: Right, right, right.
1: And um, you know, again, twenty five thousand people a year die from these kinds of infections in the United States, and it's probably going to be a lot worse in developing countries. You're talking about the CPAC stuff. I mean, I, I go to the Caribbean often, um, and you can find uh, antibiotics just over the counter without a prescription. So, you know, these are these are things that have to be addressed internationally. The World Health Organization has, you know, put out bulletins saying, look, countries who do this don't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be helping the situation. Um, it's had a call to action in terms of limiting the amount of antibiotics in the feed um, or not having them uh, for non-therapeutic purposes. So, you know, these are all important things that have to be done, but I mean, I think there are other considerations too, as you mentioned, genetically modified organisms can to some degree mitigate this um, by either uh, having them designed specifically to be immune to particular diseases, but also uh, to be able to grow faster. So we don't need to promote growth. Um, I think you know, obviously, limiting the amount of animal protein is probably a good idea for a persons' health, but also for the ecosystem and for
0: yeah. That protein. was an, a, an angle of your email that was was definitely a challenge for me. I've had I I don't I'm not a vegetarian. Are you a vegetarian or or no? No, I'm not okay. actually,
1: and okay. and I'm visiting my parents right now who are very very. Eastern European, and I've eaten nothing but sausages for the last four days. So,
0: uh, <laughs> so you're not only not a vegetarian, you're really not a vegetarian currently. At present. I, <laughs> I try to be a
1: Demeterian at home. I only try to eat meat for about you know, half the week or so.
0: Hey, that's a great approach. I think I have mentioned that before on my show. I, I think that's – if – if you can even limit it for a few days, better than nothing, right? I mean, it certainly yeah, has a significant percentage. If everybody did that, it would be incredibly significant. So, yeah. I think,
1: I mean, alternate forms of protein might be good too. I mean, we I, in my email, I mentioned, um, you know, insect protein is becoming much more popular. Um, in a lot of developing countries, um, traditionally insects c- compose a large part of the diet. Um, and as they're making the demographic tr- transition they're going over to you know traditional uh european livestock or east asian livestock um that we eat but uh you know amazon sells uh cricket flour for example that you can put into your baked goods to increase the protein content that sounds
0: awful it's i've <laughs> tried it so i'm not going to endorse it but, well uh, how how about uh how about chickens are those okay i've i've recently found out with uh, doing some dieting and, and and stuff like that and Chickens are just chicken, rather is just such a efficient for me anyway source of protein. Uh, how are we doing on that? Is that is that better or worse than cows?
1: Feed conversion ratio for chickens is actually quite low. It's something like on on the order of like two to three. So is that so, bad?
0: low bad? No,
1: low is good. So oh, low is good. Cattle, oh, okay, cattle is anywhere between five and ten with modern agricultural practice.
0: Okay. So this, the lower
1: you can reduce it the better it is. Um, so, right, I mean, so
0: this is so that would the ratio would be what what to what? That's one it's the, the something amount of, of food to the
1: number of calories essentially you have to put in to, to get okay, you get gotcha, out. So, gotcha. so for every two calories you put in you get one calorie out.
0: Oh that's pretty uh, good.
1: Versus, you know, at the at the extreme end of ten with, with uh with cattle.
0: Well if you weren't gonna call me a hero before, I think uh you gotta call me a hero now. I mean I'm eating chicken, good conversion rate. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and uh, we talked about this briefly before, but maybe you should eat a little bit more seafood and, and not – oh. I mean sustainable seafood at least and things like uh, lower on the food chain, things like mussels and you know oysters and things like this that are filter feeders and, and therefore – Can we
0: do something about the fact that all the food that is best for everything is the worst? Can we figure that out? All the food that's best for the environment, best for me, it's all the worst. I don't want to eat it. A
1: kilo of mussels at a – Single sitting, so I don't yeah. know what we're talking about.
0: I, I yeah, I guess I need to f- figure out a way to. I well, okay, I don't like seafood. I I I'm weird in that way, but uh, but but even other stuff like vegetables and all that and and whatever. You know, it's like, come on, can't we genetically figure that out <laughs> to where we make the food that's good for us taste amazing? That's that would be the biggest advance we could possibly do. It would fix everything, wouldn't it?
1: I don't know. I mean, if uh, there's there's a couple podcasts out there to talk about foodies and things like this, and and they're they're trying to breed out things like bitterness and kale and uh, and arugula and stuff. And for the people who are kind of foodies like me, I mean, we love those flavors. We love those mm. bitter flavors and things like this. So we know, I get it for the maybe those who don't like vegetables getting. Brussels sprouts to, to taste less like farts might be a thing, but you know, for the rest of us, no, we we kind of like, like those complex, you know, flavonoids and and alkaloid compounds and stuff like that. So
0: I, yeah, I, I that's true. Fair enough. Mix. Okay, I, okay, different approach. I do like those those flavors too. I I hear you on that. Maybe make other things because there's some things that when I really when I started dieting, I forget if I've talked about this before. Maybe not on this show, but. You figure out really quickly. Oh crap! This is a billion calories, and I didn't realize it. Uh, bread, you know, stuff like that. Just basically carbs, stuff like that. And could we maybe make those somehow be fewer calories? So, so keep that the same. Well, you can keep your your bitter tastes and all that, and but we just make bread like ten calories instead of two hundred for a slice. So work on there's, that.
1: There's a whole issue of satiety, right? So. Um, you know, for years um, there have been trends in the U.S. and Canada, in particular, but reducing carbs or fats or this and that. And, and in so doing, I think you reduce flavor, and, and in that you reduce satiety, so you feel like you got to eat more. Mm. And, and I find it's the same with meat. Ever since I stopped consuming as much meat during the week, and then I kind of save up my my Canadian pennies and uh, buy myself some really, really high end, um, you know, antibiotic and hormone free beef at the end of the week. Um, you know, I'd rather have that one steak a week than eat beef, you know, the entire week mm. because it just satisfies me so much more. Um, you know, that's a whole issue. I mean, the organic thing, like Kevin Falter was saying, I mean, the, the number of inputs that you need to put in is, is so much less efficient. But if we can overall cut down the amount of inputs by eating less meat, that would be good as well and good from the perspective of, of antibiotic use.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you paint a scary picture. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad I haven't taken a lot of antibiotics, but it, but man, that's scary stuff. It could be. I'm, I'm sure if someone wanted to write a horror story, I mean, it seems like all the pieces are there. It's a, it's a, some sort of super bug that can't be killed, you know. But uh, is there anything else you want to cover before we call it an episode?
1: Yeah, just, just two things. Uh, one is something kind of freaky that's that's recently been discovered, and that's the ability for. Uh, bacteria to to transmit the resistance for uh, an antibiotic called colistin. Um, so there's an epidemic, I don't know if epidemic is the right word, but th- there's an increasing problem with something called carba, carba, oh, carbapenem-resistant uh, <laughs> enterococcus, um, and essentially the last line of defense right now is this ancient antibiotic called colistin. Um, and they found a bug in China that um, can actually pass it between different species of bug by the conjugation process, where, whereas before they thought it could just be transmitted vertically. And a bunch of um, – this paper only came out this year, but a bunch of um, health organizations around the world, including Canada, started looking into various samples they had banked over the years. And they found that's already present in the food supply in Canada and the U.S. and in Europe. Wow. So that's kind of frightening. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, and we didn't talk about this in the email, but um, there's another way that we might be able to reduce antibiotic use, uh, and that's by something called phage therapy. So phages are basically viruses that infect bacteria. And uh, in Eastern Europe in particular, in the USSR, after the Second World War, they invested a lot of effort into these phage um, techniques for mitigating the spread of, of bacteria. So rather than using um, antibiotics, they actually used viruses to kill the bacteria.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So
1: that could be, you know, another avenue to investigate. Unfortunately, there's just really poor clinical studies available on that right well, now. It's, so it's, it's not- it
0: is interesting that it could be, I mean, I've, this may be unrealistic, but it could be that new technology like that or something, new advances and all of a sudden we wouldn't even care about this problem, right? I mean, if we could somehow find a way to, to use something else, but then again, who knows, maybe a new problem would be created by well, conspiracy
1: theorists have suggested that the problem is, um, that some of these organisms just basically, well, viruses and technical or- organism, but some of these biologicals can't be patented or will be difficult to patent. And, um, as such, pharma companies don't want to touch them because they can't make any money. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, and so they're not being used. Um, you know, this is also the reason why pharma does, and I'm not, I'm not a anti big pharma guy, by the way. Uh, but it, it's also a reason why antibiotic development is tough for pharma companies because it costs so much to develop. And when things become resistant right away, your product is useless.
0: And oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Your
1: investment, right? Yeah. So that's a whole issue. Well, that's
0: a major concern. I mean, it takes millions and millions. Well, is it billions or is it millions to, to, uh, to I create these things this
1: up today? Um, So something like 4% of all drugs that are developed in the lab make it to clinical trials. Yeah. And of those only five to 15% depending on the class of drug make it through the trial process and only 80 to 90% get approved by in the United States by the FDA and uh, clinical trials can cost anywhere between 20 and $150 million to run. So, you know, when your success rate is 0.5% and, you got to blow a hundred million dollars every time. It's not a lot. of Yeah.
0: That's very, that's an expensive habit right there. That's an expensive drug habit. You might say. Uh, So, all right. Thanks so much. The time has flown by, but I, I really appreciate you coming on and explaining some of this stuff to me because uh, it sounds like I got a lot of stuff wrong or missed a lot of things. And, there's nothing I like more than being corrected on that and not perpetuating falsehoods. So <laughs> thanks for that. It definitely is a grim picture in terms of uh, antibiotic resistance, but uh, hopefully eating less meat and and maybe the fact that we're phasing out non-therapeutic doses, maybe that'll help, you know, and 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 hopefully it won't be too big of an issue. Thanks again, Crackus.
1: Thank you very much, Thomas. I appreciate it a lot.
0: Oh, the pleasure was all mine, and I hope to have you back on again soon. Oh,
1: and I just want to give a shout-out to uh, the sparrow on my shoulder, Julia, my sister, who's been slapping me with various things.
0: Ah, I, good. We keep, so you're keeping me in check. She's keeping you in check. We're good. we got a good buddy system going on. <laughs> Great. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs> All right, I want to thank Krakis so much for coming on. I really enjoy that. I-, I love when I've got someone who knows what they're talking about, science wise, and I get to crack a few jokes and and do my best to interpret it and put it in layman's terms. That's uh, that's fun. I hope you guys enjoy that format as well. Uh, it's not going to be every show, of course, but it's it's been it's been really fun to do that. I think we both get a lot of info and and maybe uh, have a fun time doing it. So thanks again, Krakis. And that's some scary stuff. I'm a little... I'm kind of worried about these superbugs. I'm going to do my best. If I see one, I am going to stomp on it. And I think, if I've got my science right from Krakus, I think that should do it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all my patrons, old and new. And uh, you can support the show if you'd like to at patreon.com slash atheist. Pledge as little as a dollar a show, and you get early content, sometimes bonus content, and uh, hopefully this, I am recording this ahead of time, but maybe you even got some Eli Bosnick bonus stuff from when I was with him in New York. We'll see. I'd like to thank my all-time great pledgers, Kaylee Reiser, Zimu Zinu Jr., Adrian Borschoff, Jonathan Moyer, Jay Aldenwalt, Bangs Naughty Bits, Christian J, Peter Skelton, Brian Gerefort, Dale, Matt Garrett, Lizzie, and Samantha. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for another great week, guys.